Welcome to Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Mine is Aaron Dugan. You can follow me on Twitter at the Aaron Dugan or the Graham Aaron underscore Dugan. So really fun show planned for you guys today. Our guest on the program will be Alex McDaniel, formerly of SB Nation and AL.com. Went to Ole Miss, has been a writer and a reporter in the SEC world for quite a long time, has some really great stories, just a fascinating individual. So we're going to talk with her coming up a little bit later on. Um, Got some Tennessee lawmakers making some news in the SEC for some strange reasons. We'll get to that as well. You know, again, Tennessee, Josh Heupel blocking a transfer of a player. We'll get to that as well as uh, the EA Sports video game coming back. And what does that mean for the future of college football? But Aaron, before we do that, of course, Fringe Element brought to you by the wonderful folks at Jaspers, our best best and closest friends as my two-year-old daughter says Aaron I'm your best friend dad and sweet it is but then I look at her and I go but who's your best friend (laughs) 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 and it's never you dad is never her answer but Jaspers not only are you our best friend but you're our best friend as well did you mean that she said that she's your best friend yes Yes, she, she comes up to me. This she's is, like, I'm your best friend, but you're not mine, basically. Basically, she just doesn't say the second part of it. She just walks up to me and says, I'm That's your best definitely. friend, Dad. I'm your best That's friend. That's what she meant, for sure. 100%. She's already trolling me. She's two years old, already trolling me. Uh, Has anyone ever looked you in the eyes and said, Brayden, you're my best friend? That one, that, that I mean, my wife, but like that doesn't count. <laughs> yeah, no, it doesn't count. Um, no, like that's mean to ask. <laughs> that's a really mean question to ask me. That was mean. I don't know if I can do the show now. <laughs> that sucks. That's so sad. I mean, I get it. But. Thanks. Thanks. Oh, you get it. Thanks a lot. The, the, from the person who ripped on me for not knowing the definition of a word when you, in fact, were wrong about the definition of a word. Are you talking about gyrate? Yes. I was not wrong. Well, we don't need two dictionaries for two definitions that are basically the same. That's my biggest problem with all of this. Hashtag anyway, doesn't get it. Jaspers. Go to Jaspers. On West End, fantastic place to eat, great place to watch the game, great place to grab a drink, lots of space to spread out, socially distanced, very smart, of course, free parking, all that great stuff. Um, great elevated menu by Deb Paquette, famous chef in Nashville. So not there's not really a better place to go right now in Nashville. You can get socially distanced, free parking, and a great menu and to watch a game. There's no better place to go than Jasper's. I just that's all. No better place to go than Jasper's. It's our it's our default. Definitely is mine. I am brunch is on my to-do list. I have not done Jasper's brunch yet, but that is going to be an ordeal. And I'm just going to take all my friends with me. Well, a safe, a safe number of friends <laughs> yes. in my bubble, my friend bubble, your, your bubble. Yes. All of my best friends and I Jasper's. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, uh, so Alex McDaniel coming up on the show. And the reason I wanted to talk to her is because she's interesting, Aaron. She's, She's just a, a fascinating person who's experienced a lot of cool stuff in the SEC. She's worked with a lot of cool people, has a lot of fascinating stories. The, the birth of her child, as well as her father, all tied really deeply, which is sort of one of the things that we all have in common with the SEC is that it's very much part of our family life and, and sort of like who we are as people. And listen, we've got eight months to, d- to dissect the Kentucky depth chart and who's going to replace Larry Roundtree at Missouri and who's going to play quarterback at A&M. So we're going to have some fun in the off season and you're going to hear from some interesting people. Maybe, maybe we dive into music. Maybe we dive in. We had, we had a comedian on last week. So if you want to read about like, who's the, the best quarterback at Tennessee and there's some big news about it, we're going to talk about it, but by and large, Aaron, we're just going to have some fun on the show in the off season. And we had kind of a brainstorming session about people that we may have on the show and it's a dynamic and hilarious group. So I think it'll be a lot of fun. And it, Back to Alex. She is, I've been following her for a long time. She is one of the best storytellers out there. She does a really good job of making it bigger than just sports. And that's the kind of thing that draws people in that might not be obsessed with the X's and O's of football, but do care about the story aspect and the human side of it. And she is really damn good at that. Yeah. It's you, you cannot talk about the South. You cannot talk about Southern culture, which is food and music and history and some negative stuff like Alex will talk about, but, but you know, we're all tied together with sec football. And, and so Alex is a, I agree with you. She's a fantastic storyteller. I like you have been reading her material for a long time. If you are an sec fan, you know who she is. So mm-hmm. enough, enough selling of Alex McDaniel. She's great. How about that? Yeah, She oh. sells it's, it's a, she sells herself. Yeah. So we had, we had a, a fun talk with her. That's coming up a little bit later on in the show real, real quickly here, Aaron, 
Oh God! EA Sports is coming out with a video game again. It's the, the college football game is coming back. We don't know when. It could be probably next year. Not not like 2021, but 2022 maybe. And Notre Dame made an interesting announcement. They said we're not going to be a part of the game. I don't know if that actually means anything because we've got legislation working its way through Congress and state legislative houses that are going to push for name, image, and likeness. But essentially, this is about name, image, and likeness. And Notre Dame, to me, comes out looking like, you know, if I'm a recruit, I'm going, hell yeah, Notre Dame. I want to go to Notre Dame because they're saying, look, we're not going to be in this game until you pay our athletes. And I don't know if they're ever going to actually have to follow through on that bluff. But if I'm a recruit, you better believe I'm taking notice of that. I don't know why every school and every coach isn't doing this right now because it's an easy PRW. Well, it not only sends that money message of, you know, you deserve to get paid and all that. It's, just, it's a bigger message than that, which is you you are the important part of this. You're what makes this happen. So we're going to take your side. So it's hopefully it's not just a PR move, but it is a good message to send overall. And guess who else likes that? Mom and dad, because it, again, sends a message that their kid is the priority and that's super important. And especially in, in this day and age is empowering players, um, sh- like giving them the things that they have or giving them really the rights they should have and empowering them to use their own voices to speak up for themselves, whether that's social justice related or, you know, name, image and likeness related. It's it's important. And players, parents, everybody takes notice. Yeah. And you're, you're right. I, I hope people do it for the right reasons and not just yeah. the PR reasons. You're absolutely right. I, but in the, but in, even in the most cynical way, I love Dan Mullen. I hate it. I hate love Dan Mullen. Is that a thing? I love hate. Yeah. I hate love. I love that he is honest. I, I will be dis, I'll disagree with him all the time about stuff, but I would rather have a coach that's honest and sort of speaks his mind than these bleeping robots that we get most of the time. Like I want a coach just to be themselves. And so I don't want to be the guy who's like, ripping on Dan Mullen every time he says something kind of silly and stupid and tone deaf or whatever, but I'd rather have him do that. But that, that's what this is all about is like, even if you're Dan Mullen, just st- like Spurrier did this at South Carolina. I think he, he said, no, these players, Hey man, these, these players deserve to get paid, man. These, these guys should get paid. And I'm just going, you're never actually going to have to pay the players. Cause you're going to be retired before anything <laughs> like that happens. But, but you can now go on the recruiting trail and say, look, mom and dad, like you said, Aaron, I'm trying to get your kid compensated here for the work they're putting in. And again, Josh Heupel just blocked a recruit, which God, how many teams, how many times have we seen a coach block a recruit from transferring or a player from transferring the court of public opinion says, come on, dude, what are you doing? And then the coach relents and the player transfers and the world doesn't in fact stop spinning. I don't, what do you gain from doing that? If you're a coach, I, I, there's so many easy PR wins right now. I just don't understand why coaches don't take them. I just think it's a small, it's, I think it's a small ball move. I just, you're not going to see the best coaches in the country. I mean, I have not pulled the numbers on this, but someone wants to get, someone wants to get out from under Nick Saban. He's going to be like, okay. I mean, I guess that's different because they're, is that not the case? Well, I think the one that's comes to mind was the defensive back. I can't remember his name. He went from Alabama to Georgia when Kirby smart left. Oh yeah. But I think that was more because Kirby smart, like, reportedly this is all alleged allegedly allegedly Kirby smart was taking like photos of the you know the recruiting board and showing them to recruits so he so Kirby smart there was, was some sort other of, stuff going yeah on. he was kind of crossing some like un, unwritten law lines here like oh look Mr. Five-star running back Alabama just thinks you're the third best running back on their board like that's there's more of a complex there were more layers to that probably yeah, than yeah. this well here's the here's my here's my qualm with this hypo thing <laughs> hey, I don't think you should block players from transferring, period. Because I, I don't see the point. You're right. It's a bad PR. It's bad for the player. But also, you're he also has, like, retracted offers in the past, which it's like, I just think that you – that's not – okay, so – you get to a new place. You don't want this player because you didn't recruit them. So you go back on, you know, the word of the university. But then uh, to me, this is like kind of the same thing, but opposite. Yeah. And it's shitty. <laughs> come come to Fringe Element. Does that make for, sense at all? No, it's a, you're 100% right. I just think it's hilarious. Like, here's our analysis. It's shitty. 
(laughs) Well, yeah, it is. And you look bad. It's like mean and stupid, which I, you know, my biggest thing is I hate mean people and I don't really like dumb people, but I hate mean people that are also dumb. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not calling him mean and dumb. I just don't think this, there's anything good about this on either side. And and I'm not really picking on Josh Heupel in particular here because every single coach in every single conference has done this. I mean, again, Nick Saban has done it not very often, but he's done it. And every coach has done this. I just don't understand what do, what do you like? Do you think that you're going to stop the player from transferring? Do you think you're going to win that battle? Like that's never happened. Like, I no. can't remember a time where a player was like, I would like to transfer coach publicly says no. And then player decides to stay. Like, I don't, also, I don't, even if they did, they would be like, F you. I don't know what you gain. Like, I honestly don't know what you gain by fighting a tra- a player to transfer. And- because the odds that that player is going to be the, that one player is going to be the difference in a win and loss on your schedule. Maybe it's some schools or some particular recruits. Maybe that's the case. I mean, depending on who it is, but more than likely that is not going. I, I don't know. I just don't see how it directly affects you. I, I, I totally agree. Like it's, here, here's how you do it. Look, just player comes to you. I'll be Josh Heupel. Player comes to me okay. and says, look, coach Dylan Brooks comes to me and says, look, I want to go look around and transfer it other, other places. You put out a statement that says, look, Dylan Brooks is an extraordinary young man. We we want to help him accomplish his goals. He doesn't want to be at University of Tennessee anymore. We wish him the best of luck, and we will do everything in our power to help him in, in, in the next step of his career, wherever that may be. Boom. Take the W. <laughs> because here's, what we're, here's the other thing that we're learning. Now that there are so many players transferring, here's what's happening. These players are remembering when they were treated well when they decided to sign somewhere else. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, and I, I don't want to pick on James Franklin, but I, I do. I, I was it James Franklin who called like Tennessee. What did he call Tennessee? Like an inferior education or something like that, which it I is. I don't remember that exactly, but it is technically <laughs> let's, let's be honest. Vanderbilt mean to is, Vanderbilt. Yes. Vanderbilt's a Look superior Look at the place. two of us. But I mean, obviously. And, <laughs> but I think it's funny that he ends up at Dylan Brooks, this particular case, he ends up at Auburn because Auburn handled when he went to t- decided to go to Tennessee in that moment when he announced, Hey, I'm going to Tennessee, not Auburn or Alabama. Auburn was like, Hey, we wish you the best of luck, man. It's yep. amazing. Just do the right thing by people and you will eventually, it will, it will pay off for you. So if you're a bunch of fans tweeting recruits, just wish them the best of luck. They're more likely to have positive vibes about your team and then come back to your school when they decide to transfer. Think about that. Yeah. Like, Oh my God, you mean be a, it's as simple as being a good human. I don't understand. Blows Surely mind, we can't man. dial it all the way back to that. It blows people's mind, but it, it, it is. I don't. And Notre Dame not going in the video game. The, the reality of this is the video game's a couple of years out, and there's legislation about name, image, and likeness that's coming probably way before that game actually happens. So it's sort of a bluff at some point, you know, to some degree. Yeah. But and Notre Dame is not in a conference, so they have the freedom to kind of do this, which you you brought up. And I think that's again, if I'm a coach, I'm saying right now, I don't want my team. I don't want my players in that game until we until they get compensated because it makes you look great. I don't know. Heck yeah, it's it's definitely the move. It's, I mean, again, we hope it's for the right reasons, and I I think that it's some part of it's got to be. But you're right; they're not. It's it's quite possible, in fact, likely that this will be dictated and there will be legislation about it long before it actually comes to fruition. So there you go, easy, <laughs> there you easy go. choice. Just take the easy W, we, guys. Speaking of questionable decisions, should we talk about the Tennessee lawmakers? So David Ubbin tweeted this out of The Athletic. I believe it was last night. Um, and he said he missed, quote, missed this earlier today, but 27 Tennessee lawmakers submitted a letter to 10 chancellors of Tennessee universities, including Dondi Plowman, who's the, the, the chancellor of University of Tennessee, encouraging them to adopt policies that prohibit the athlete from any kind of demonstration during the national anthem. And I, at first I just thought, why are we still talking about this? Like, that's my first thought. It's just why, why are we doing this? Why are taxpayer dollars and legislators wasting time and energy and money on this crap? What are we doing? Here's, here's the thing. (laughs) (laughs) This is a problem. And when we see all the thing, and we all probably don't really want to talk about it, but there's a lot of really, really awful stuff that went down this year from everything that went happened with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor all the way through rioting, 
both different kinds of rioting, whether it's the White House or that's that's a totally that's a different thing in and of itself. But the rioting that all came out of this movement towards social justice, that is the language of the unheard. And if you take away opportunities to do things peacefully, am I saying that that could be that? Yes, I understand why kneeling with a veteran, you know, sitting there, that could be something that feels hurtful to them, especially who's someone who has served, but also that we have to have ways in place for people to send messages without being violent. That's, that's, (laughs) no, that's, that's what we have to do. We have to be okay. <laughs> and then when all this stuff happened, you see Colin Kaepernick, you know, it's like, okay, well, you can send a message, but you can't kneel and you can't wear that pregame jersey that says equality and you can't do this and you can't do that. And we don't like all these ways. Just get out of, just leave it alone. Let people do what they want. Well, and it's Is also, bad? it's also like written into our constitution. So it's again, like, I just, okay, I, I'm done. That's all I needed. I know. Listen, I am a white man who didn't serve in the military. So I cannot speak as a black man. I cannot speak as a military veteran. I cannot speak to those perspectives. I try to understand both perspectives, but at the end of the day, it just doesn't affect my life. Somebody kneeling during the anthem doesn't affect my life. It does not do anything to me. I I hope that there's some action behind like some conversations. And I think university of Tennessee, a lot football players in the state of Mississippi in the sec changed the Mississippi flag this year. Think about that. To the the people that want to say, Oh, don't just kneel, do something about it. What do you, what do you mean? Like they changed the flag <laughs> in the state of Mississippi mm-hmm. because Kylan Hill and these guys were like, I don't feel like this is the right thing. And the flag means different things for different people. Again, I can't believe we're having to have this conversation again. again I am I know. utterly embarrassed for our state, state of Tennessee to have this many people. And I guess the point is, is you don't have to agree with it. You don't have to disagree with it, but it's their right. And as long as it's peaceful, yeah. as long as it's peaceful, you cannot tell them not to do it. Yeah, and- I think that's right. And I think just, I, th- I think understanding that there's a message there. And yes, I do think that you can't, it's not helpful to only do that. But just like you brought up, a lot of these athletes, student athletes are doing, and coaches are doing things behind the scenes that maybe you don't see. It's not necessarily just a passive kneel during the anthem. There are a lot of things happening behind the scenes, student-led run organizations student-run organizations, things that the athletes have started to help spread messages about equality and about, um, you know, you know, gendered inequality and all, all this stuff. So there, don't assume that that's the only thing happening because I've seen on a firsthand basis that these kids are taking a lot of initiative, including, I mean, when I was at Vanderbilt, they led a, they led a movement to have voting brought on campus so that no kid even had the, you know, even had to worry about getting to their voting location. And in fact, the system makes it really hard for kids who come to college in a different state to get that. So they all foot, mostly football guys started and um, yep. ran that whole movement. So there, there are things happening, maybe even if we don't see them. So just don't assume, I guess. Was that, was that Orrin Burks and those guys? Like they were, were or they, it was after Orrin, it was a uh, Cam Robinson, okay. Okay. I think kind of headed it up. And I believe Andre Mintz and couple other guys are on yeah, the front like, lines of that like again they have a platform so when they do something like that people notice clearly okay. these lawmakers have noticed and so it's different like <laughs> little Braden up in you know row c of neyland stadium takes a knee during the national anthem like no one's gonna care <laughs> like no one gives a shit about me but like the athletes have a platform so doing something like that causes some attention i do think that once you create that attention you need to do something with it and i think most people do so yeah um, I you we just know. don't always see it. Agreed. And I just can't, I, I just am frustrated that we're having to talk about it. So maybe we shouldn't anymore. Um, yeah, how, how about that? Um, I do, don't know you, the answer. You do you just, just you do you and don't everybody stop being so sensitive about everything. <laughs> that's fair. That's, that's just how I feel, uh, about all this stuff. So that, that, that just about does it for, for this week. Not a lot of news. Uh, I know Dan Mullen said a bunch of weird stuff still and, having a lot of good times, uh, quarterback transfer, you know, Tyler Shuck didn't go to Auburn. He went to Texas tech. So that was going to, that was a, maybe a bit of a loss for Auburn there, but otherwise a, a pretty, pretty boring news week. So let's tell some really good stories here. what do you think about that? I like that idea. Well, Alex McDaniel is our guest today on the show. She again was the deputy editor for SB nation, you know, <clears throat> you got it. <laughs> Leave it in Spencer hall. Every day should be Saturday. Of course. You know, the guys for Solid Verbal, Stephen Godfrey on the show, Ryan Nanny, 
Um, you know, so many great, great people, Holly Anderson, just like a lot of, you know, Bill Connolly was on, was on that staff when she was there and he's moved on to ESPN's, you know, AL.com is where she used to work, Red Cup Rebellion, which was the SB Nation site for Ole Miss. She went to Ole Miss, just a fascinating person with a great perspective and a deep, deep love of SEC football. (laughs) (laughs) It's so real. To say the least. So uh, without further ado, when we come back, our conversation with the great Alex McDaniel. Fringe Element is brought to you by Jaspers, a casual eatery on West End. All the good neighborhood vibes. Great place to watch the game. 9,000 square feet, socially distanced, very smart, very safe, free parking, great menu. Basically everything you'd ever need to go have a wonderful evening at Jaspers. It's true. And we have both done that more than once. Many times. Many a time. Uh, Here's my question, though. When Aaron Dugan goes out to eat with a suitor, let's call them. Such a dad. I'm going to be as old as possible. Listen, I'm a walking middle-aged dad joke. It's fine. I'm comfortable with that. When when someone is courting you. (laughs) I hate you. I hate this. How do you evaluate someone? So you're sitting down at Jasper's. You got all the cool vibes. You got your own tequila cocktail because we've already established that we're going to do that now. Manifest. How do you how do you evaluate a guy's mannerism at dinner? Do, can you, you tell right away? Specific. Can you tell right away when you sit down at the table how he looks at a menu and how he orders food that you're like, I don't think this is going to go well, or vice versa? I can normally tell in about the first two minutes of meeting someone in general, but I do think that a restaurant can shine a light on your ability to be able to tell quickly. I mean. Here's one really easy way. How you hold a fork or a wine glass is like a dead giveaway. A wine glass. Interesting. Yeah, because if I've seen people like, yeah, no. Well, that's a problem too. Braden's like holding three fingers out and being kind of prissy. But no, like the whole actual, like gripping the entire stem. (laughs) Like with a fist? I've seen it. I'm not kidding. (laughs) I was like, this is No, you hold it up around the bulbous part. Stop saying weird stuff, please. It's like that, that's giving how you hold me, wine. making me feel weird. Like like a martini glass or a margarita glass where you have to yeah. sort of ha- you have to put it, you know, you have that's to, true. You have to cup the glass a little bit, Aaron. You know, it's just the I hate that word. Cup the bulbous part of the wine glass. That's what you do. Okay. Um well I will say that <laughs> <laughs> that Jaspers. <laughs> Jaspers. Um, the way you treat the wait staff is a good cue. Yeah, I will it, like that's a dead giveaway. Plus, everybody at Jasper's, like I told you, is so much nicer than me that if you're ever rude to them, I, I mean, I, I would hate you no matter if you're rude to any kind of wait staff. But if you're rude to these people, you're actually evil because they're yeah. just the nicest yeah. people on the planet. If, I know if that because I compare myself to them. If you sat down at Jasper's with a guy on a date and a guy ordered like, I'm going to go shrimp and goodies, I'm going to go nichos, I'm going to get some cornbread, I'm going to get, and he orders like six appetizers, all of which at Jasper's are spectacular. Do, are you going to judge him for that? Or are you more attracted to him because of that? Well, I guess it depends on how he's wearing six appetizers. <laughs> <laughs> but if, if he's an offensive lineman, he's fine. It, <laughs> yeah, well, maybe none of those. Um, or it also means that I can order whatever I want. It's not going to matter because you already ordered six things. That's what, see what, see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, I do. There's, there's two sides to that coin, you know, like offensive linemen like to eat there. They have, okay, I don't too. only date yeah. offensive linemen. No, I know. I'm saying the offensive, if a, if a five foot, I mean, six... I do, but not only. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's beside the point. If a yeah, five foot, leave that if, if a five foot six punt returner, sits down to dinner and orders like six or seven appetizers, you might be concerned about where he's going to put all that. You know, I'm not, I don't question an offensive lineman's calorie intake is what I'm saying. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I guess you're doing something right. If you're five, six, you're going to eat six appetizers. I would probably just be mad at their metabolism and think they didn't deserve it and be jealous. And a hundred percent correct. Go to Jasper's and learn how to hold a glass of wine. That's what we're saying. Tip the weight stuff. And to treat treat people well, and um, order six appetizers. The appetizers are phenomenal at Jasper. They really are. That's another reason I wouldn't be mad. And the side items too, like the charred broccoli, the Tex-Mex black beans. My wife loves those. Oh, it's delicious! Everything on the menu is great. 
great dessert menu, 9,000 square feet, socially distanced, very safe, free parking, all that great stuff. Go to Jasper's, watch the game. It is a perfect place to take Aaron Dugan on a date, apparently. Please do not do this. Oh, okay. Don't take Aaron Dugan on a date to Jasper's. I just Just feel like this is going to take like a weird turn and then you're going to start tweeting about it and then it's going to be like, I don't know. I just see this going south. I'm not responsible for my actions at this point. Go to Jasper's. That's not how that works. Okay. Go to Jasper's. Go to Jasper's. (laughs) Oh my God. Alex, first of all, thank you for giving us a few minutes of your time today on the show. We do appreciate it. Been a big fan of your work for a long time. And uh, let's just start first because everyone seems to have like that moment that that experience you know Aaron has told our listeners her experience I've told mine <laughs> that like the college football southern SEC thing just hit us and all of a sudden that was it we we were in hook line and sinker forever w- what was that moment for you growing up gosh I guess it would have to be you know my dad is from Mississippi and he even though I grew up between Texas and Memphis. Um, obviously we would go down and visit with family and my entire family with the exception of me, <laughs> they're all Mississippi state fans. When I was young, I didn't know what that meant. I was like, cool. Go I'm happy for you. Um, and when I got to be about a teenager, you know, I grew up an NFL fan because growing up in Dallas in the glory years, like my mom was a huge Dallas fan. She's the one who taught me everything about football college football never really occurred to me outside of what I heard. And then my senior year of high school was Eli's last year at Ole Miss. And my dad would be watching the games and I would just sit with him. And suddenly it hit me like, Oh, this team he's loved all his life. Like they're, they've actually got a shot this year. Eli's really good. This must be how Ole Miss is all the time. Right. <laughs> like thinking, Oh, they're a winning team. Um, And so that was just, that was such a fun year. And I knew I was torn on college and I actually ended up going to Arkansas state and Ole Miss because I was, I was torn on whether I wanted to be a music teacher or a writer. And my dad had told me my whole life, like, if you want to be a writer, you need to go to Ole Miss. And I didn't know what that meant. I just knew I trusted him. And so between that and football and like watching them go to the cotton bowl that year and, uh, truly like coming in at such a glory time where I kind of got duped into thinking like, Oh, this is how it is all the time. That's, that's what it hit me. And I, you know, I started that I I started at Ole Miss my freshman year and I was in the marching band and our first game was an away game in Alabama and us like marching in that stadium for the first time, I thought I was going to pass out. It was just the biggest, it's closest I've ever gotten to a panic attack at that point in my life. And I think that's when it hit me truly was that Alabama game. I'm like, whoa, this is a huge, huge thing that I don't even begin to understand. And um, it only grew from there. So Braden made a reference to you know where my obsession with college football began. It was definitely my parents. And in fact, I know that it's funny because that's my, you know, my parents are diehard um, Memphis fans went to, did have a wedding in the fall, but made sure it was a 12 o'clock kick that day. So they could get married at six. My mom (laughs) left at halftime, but that, that brings up, that was such not only a a big bonding experience, just the game of football for me and my dad, but my mom and I as well, how do you feel like, and I know that you lost your dad, um, a few years ago. So how did, how is football, you know, bigger than just the game to you? And how did that, you know, bond with over football between you and your dad kind of influence your career? It, yeah, it's, um, it's funny because it's something I feel like I think about a lot and it's been, he died in 2014 and it's an odd thing to think that it's been almost seven years. Cause you know, losing a parent, it always feels like it happened yesterday. Um, I never, I always try to be careful not to minimize our entire relationship to football But at the same time, I don't want to minimize the significance that it had for us. You know, my sister, she's currently a student at Ole Miss. She has no interest in sports. Like I said about my mom, big NFL (laughs) fan, doesn't really care about college sports at all. So Ole Miss football was our thing. And some of the happiest memories of my life were being in the Grove with my dad and him holding like an entire solo cup of tequila (laughs) and like, like like holding court with all my friends. Like my friends would come to the tent, but they came for my parents. They came for my dad, um, because he was just so funny and he would give them dating advice and tell them like, this is how to live your life. Um, 
you know, I think what was so special to me is like, he did grow up very poor in Mississippi. He grew up knowing there was no chance he could go to college. He went to community college for a few semesters and then enlisted and um, went to Vietnam. And the fact that I went there was so meaningful to him. I mean, despite the fact it was a state school. And when I was a freshman, I think the average ACT score was like 16. (laughs) He was the day I got the acceptance letter. It was, it might as well have been Harvard. I mean, he called all of his relatives. He wanted all of them to know like my baby's going (laughs) old Miss, you know? And, um, and it, it just was this very special thing. And we didn't get that long to appreciate it because we didn't go to games before I started college. So they would come to see me in the marching band. And then when I was done with band, we finally set up a tent in the Grove um, and had that. But, you know, I, there's so much there that's so sentimental to me because in 2012, fall 2012 was when he was diagnosed with cancer in October. Of course it was during football season. October is a big month in our family, by the way, it's when I was born, my son was born, a lot of stuff happened. Uh, We're fall people. Um, And then the following October is when I had my son. And then the following October is when he died. And so, so much of his life and our relationship is tied up in how the Rebs are doing. And I've written about this before, but the night before he died, I was allowed to go back to his room in the ICU in Ole Miss. Uh, I believe they were seven and zero at the time, or they were six and zero, going to be seven and zero. And they were playing Tennessee. And he was, you know, he's lying in the bed. He was on a lot of pain medication, died of cancer. And so he was in a lot of pain. He had his oxygen mask on and, and I walked in and I turned on the TV and I said, you know, daddy, the rebels are playing. And suddenly he like all the strength he had, he gets up and he rips off his mask, just a total nightmare for the nurses. <laughs> and he, and he couldn't really talk, but he knew what he was watching and he knew I was there with him and I could only stay with him for about an hour. And, um, it's, it, of course it sounds silly to anybody who doesn't understand it and anybody who may not like sports, but to tell you like that was one of the most meaningful moments of my life that the the last thing I got to do with him was watch some of the game. And, uh, you know, it's, there's so much emotion tied there, but now that I have my own son and I'm taking him to games and we're developing our own traditions and some call it brainwashing. I just call it raising a child. Well, but (laughs) it's like, you know, it's full circle now. And now I'm creating the same memories uh, with him that I had with my dad. And there's just, um, there's no way for me to separate it. And I never want to, it's different now. Like I can't deny the fact that I still love the Grove and I still love going to the games, but it's different without him. And it's there's always going to be a dad size hole there. And I think once I finally stopped trying to fill it is when I was able to be at peace with it. Like, this is just the circle of life. This is how it goes on. It just happens to be playing out on a stage. That's sec football. First of all, thank you for, for sharing, sharing, that. sharing that with us. It's incredible. And, and I think so many people, especially today, uh, can relate to a lot of the, those things you're talking about. Like my daughter was born in October um, and teaching her fight songs. She's now four, but teaching her fight, <laughs> fight song to my alma mater in the SEC is absolutely great parenting. There's no question that that's just great parenting. But it's so funny because one of the most prominent memories before becoming a parent was that it was the Tennessee, Texas A&M, Alvin Kamara, like five overtime, six turnover game where like my wife had to leave the party early because she was like, uh, you know, it, like literally our daughter was due like in two days. And so she leaves the, we, we were at a friend's house watching the game and a bunch of people, I probably had an extra beer I shouldn't have had knowing that my wife was pregnant. <laughs> and she goes back home and texts me and is like, I think you probably need to come back. And I'm like, but it's, but it's, but it's fourth overtime, honey. Like I can't, I can't, you know, and she's like, no, no, we're at like seven and a half, eight minutes here on the contractions. You need to get back, back home. So oh, God. So I got home and we that night went to the the hospital and I remember walking around watching Pac-12 after dark and stuff like it's just it's just so tied to that experience totally accidentally. Right. Like and and but that's but that's sort of how it gets started. And then from there, you 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 add the memories as you go. Yeah. And I, you think like, you know, my son was born on October 3rd in 2013 and that was a Thursday. Um, I had gone into the doctor that Monday because you know, I'm five. Oh, so my, my pregnancy was never complicated, but like once I was super pregnant, I was super pregnant. Everything hurt. I was just done with it. I was like, let's do, let's get this over with. So I go to the doctor that Monday and I'm like, I don't know, something just doesn't feel right. I'm not having tr- contractions, but he just feels really heavy today. And they do an ultrasound and they're like, Oh, we think this kid's going to be 10 pounds. He wasn't for the record. And so my doctor decided the best thing to do 
if I wanted to was an elective C-section. So I was like, okay, yeah, whatever. Let's just get this over with. And I'm like, here's the thing. Ole Miss plays Auburn on Saturday. I don't want it to be on Saturday. I don't want to miss the game. And he's like, and he's like, well, I can't do Friday. Can you come in on Thursday morning? I'm like, yeah, what time? Like we're literally (laughs) scheduling the birth of my child. And then the second thing was, I was like, is, cause I knew I'd be in the hospital for a few days if I had a C-section. I was like, is my room going to have a TV? where I can watch the game that Saturday. Cause that, that would be my birthday was that Saturday. And I went, he's like, we'll make sure your room has a TV. And so there's like a photo somewhere of Jack, my son of him in like this Ole Miss onesie that's way too big for him and me in the hospital room, just watching us terribly lose this game to Auburn. That was the year they went to the national championship. It was a mess. Um, but that I was dead serious about it. And my doctor, my OB, he went to Ole Miss. I was serious about that too. <laughs> Like, what is it? And the craziest thing, and I don't mean to ramble, but I just, I love this part. So my son's dad uh, was a recruiting reporter at the Clarion Ledger in Mississippi at the time. Now he's a sports editor at ale.com. But so, you know, your C-section, like it's, it's an operation. So they're giving you the drugs, they have you down on the bed, they give the epidural, you can't feel anything. Everything's kind of loopy. And they send him out in the hallway while they can do all that for privacy. And so I'm kind of focusing on different sounds, not just kind of out there ready for this to start. I hear someone in the hall stop him and say, hey, are you John Talty with the Clarion Ledger? And he's like, yeah. He goes, oh man, I love your recruiting stuff. This guy went to (laughs) Mississippi State. And so he's just like, man, Ole Miss, blah, blah, blah. Just trashing my school right before the birth of my child. And I was like, can someone get him in here now? <laughs> just get him in here because <laughs> this can't be the last thing I hear before his birth. So yeah, we're entrenched. Oh, we are man. firmly entrenched in this. It's it's so it's so amazing. So you mentioned you mentioned when you went to school, your father said, if you want to be a writer, go to Ole Miss. And yeah. there does there does feel like there's some rite of passage with going to Ole Miss and, and like we know Missouri has a great journalism school. We know there's lots of great journalism schools out there, but just there's something about Mississippi. What, what is it about Ole Miss that has produced so much of like, we know about the bookstore and we know about all these great writers and we know about uh, people you've worked with, frankly, that, that we've had on the show before <laughs> that are Ole Miss grads <laughs> and sports writers. What is it about that school that sort of creates that, that thing in, in people? I think, uh, I think it's a few different things. I mean, obviously you've got most people who aren't familiar with the area, they assume it's just a Faulkner thing or, um, you know, Square Books is there, which is a great bookstore. The literary culture in town is incredible. What's amazing to me is how many writers will move there permanently to make it like their home. Like Joey Lauren Adams lives there. Um so she can write like you'll just see her out at the bar jack pendarvis who's brilliant he was there he was supposed to be there one semester to be a writer in residence and that was like 10 years ago um ace atkins he's another one great crime writer he was the miami herald he just decided to live there i think beyond journalism even though it's a fine journalism school there are so many people there from many different disciplines you have poets and sports writers and people who are, are writing really important work, not just in journalism, but also in the arts. And they're all gathered in this really small town. I mean, Oxford is a tiny, tiny town compared to other SEC towns or even college towns. And there's just this sense of story. I mean, you can also say that about Mississippi in general. So many wonderful writers have come out of there. And a lot of people say it's because there are so many stories to tell and that can be good and bad. You know, I mean, one of my, when I worked at the Clarion Ledger, one of my very first assignments um, was about a church down in a town that refused to marry a black couple just because they had never done it before. This was 2012. Um, so there's stories like that, that you're just like bonkers. How are we living in a world like that? But then there are also incredible stories of hope and generosity and, and good people. And I think the fact that Mississippi is so weird for lack of a more original word makes it such a great place to find stories like that. Um, you know, I went with journalism because I thought it would help me more job wise. Like ultimately, if I if money weren't a thing, I would have been an English major, probably gone into the creative writing program. But I was like, well, if I can at least learn to write a story, maybe learn some video, do a little of this, then at least I can stay employed <laughs> if I don't make a lot of money. Um, but yeah, I think it's just kind of a lot of different things that come together in that town. Yeah. I mean, there is such in the South in general, like you said, there is such a just tradition of storytelling and just orally passing things down and hearing things from your grandparents and 
you know, telling stories about your parents and just all of that kind of being passed through. So in addition to kind of coming from a culture that breeds that, what else makes you a good storyteller? And if you could specifically talk to those qualities, like being a female, because oftentimes there are things that in this industry, people look at as weaknesses, whether that's emotional or, um, you know, misnaming passion for drama or anything else. Like, how do you, what are things about you as a writer and specifically as a female that maybe have been viewed as weaknesses, but make you really good at your job? Uh, You know, I think when it comes to storytelling in any way, whether it's writing or video, um, I do look for the pain in something. And I don't mean in an exploitative way at all. I think every story, even happy stories, can be born from hard times or struggle. Um, Maybe somebody who had to be stronger than they should have been required to be in a certain moment or somebody who just out of the goodness of their heart wants to help other people. And I think when you identify those people, you identify the helpers. in a situation, that's kind of where you can start with your story. Um, and I've covered all sorts of things. I was a news writer, I was a sports writer, I was a columnist. I think I still am a columnist just because I get um, pretty passionate about things <laughs> that I believe in. But I think for me, I've just been so driven by fairness and I consider it, you know, responsibility as journalists, we talk about objectivity all the time. It's not about objectivity. It's never about objectivity. It's can you tell it fairly? I, as a journalist, you should be able to go into a situation. We could even make it a sports analogy. You should be able to go to your school's rival and tell a beautiful feature story about their fans or about their players without even hesitation in your mind on how to tell it. There should never, it, there should never even be a moment of, but they're Mississippi State or they're LSU or they're this. Um, and I just apply that on a larger scale. I think fairness is so much more important than pretending that you don't care about things because we're people and people stories are, are what I care about most. It's how I got into, I literally stumbled into sports writing. I was at ale.com. I thought Alabama fans were wild and <laughs> the whole like naming their kids after it. There was a guy who used to sit outside. He camped outside Bryant Denny stadium days before I think it's a day or whatever they call it when they rush the field to get Saban's autograph he'd bring a table and a little dvd player and some snacks and he would stay out there for days and I told my editor like I gotta know why he does this can I just go talk to him and not in a mocking way nothing I've ever done has ever been haha look at this loser it was truly like you love something this much that you're willing to sit out there for four days tell me why and it's always a deeper story and of course it went into well this is what my dad and I used to do or this is what my grandmother and I used to do it's really easy to look at SEC fans or passionate fans of any sport and just say they don't have lives. They have too much time on their hands because they don't understand what they're doing and the passion and the devotion they have to this thing, this team, this coach, the school is tied to something much deeper. And I apply that to pretty much all of the storytelling I do. I mean, a lot of people can say I've got weaknesses, And I do, I I acknowledge my weaknesses. I'm sure a lot of people would say that I lean too far into the emotional or that, you know, I want to tell sad stories or anything. I really don't. It's a lot more about meaning that everything is meaningful. Even the things that you think are really shallow. Um, You know, I'm obsessed with that driver's license song right now, not because I'm 16 getting over a boy, but because (laughs) I, I remember being 16 and getting over a boy and it was the worst And I feel the same way about everything we do, just finding the meaning in people and finding um, the stories that have shaped who they are and the stories that they continue to tell because of who they are. That's the human condition. And that's what I love about it. So you're suggesting and reporting here that Alabama and Mississippi State fans are people. That's what you're suggesting? I am. You heard it here first. Okay. All right. No, it's (laughs) very first. It's it's funny. It's funny, like emotional is a word. And I actually have these, I actually have these conversations with my male friends. Like, guys, I'm, I'm the emotional one in my marriage. Like, like I'm the one <laughs> who's, I'm emotional because I'm emotional. <laughs> like, that's, yeah, I'm, that's just who I am. But I think that's also, I, I mean, I'm with you. That's partly why when I see things and when I see stories about people, like I will, I will read a great feature story about the, the silliest thing. Maybe not the silliest thing, an important thing, but like a small story. It's not about the national championship. It's not about winning this or winning that. And and I'm like crying reading a story because that's how I tick. That's how I see things. And so I think that is where those of us in the media or media adjacent or whatever, I do think, and I think Aaron, you, you do this too. Like you see things 
and and that's the goal is to see them and then explain them to people in a in a way that allows them to sort of see somebody else's perspective i guess i don't know what i'm i don't know what i'm asking you alex I just no, yeah, no, the emotions, I, the connection, I think, is what you're getting at, Braden. And I think that Alex, you you said the same thing. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what it comes down to. If if this were just about sports, like I wouldn't be an old miss fan. <laughs> I'd be an old fan. Where you're like, from. You know what I'm saying? And that's like that's my typical line that I use. If this were just about sports, we would all just be fans of the winning teams, right? Because who wants to just lose for no reason? It's never about sports. It's never <laughs> about sports. It's about the fact that, you know, when Ole Miss beats Alabama. Like I cried, not because that alone is so impressive to me. It's because of like, oh, I wish my dad could see that because he would have been cussing up a storm, you know, or something like that. And um, and I love that. And I love that about sports. And it's why I got into this because I never had any plans to be a sports writer in any way. It was just something I loved, but I never thought you know, it's the same thing. I just, I was like, I am not interested in being a stats person for the rest of my life or being able to just memorize rosters. Like I don't have a brain like that. Um, and it never occurred to me until I was older that I could, I could tell the actual stories that are happening, um, and the history of it all. And, you know, I just, it's one lens that we can use to view society through. And I think it's a very, it's a very powerful one. And it's one that gets silly and nasty and we've all seen the worst of it. And especially when you're a woman, you see the worst of it. I mean, God only knows what's living in my DMS. <laughs> I don't check them very often. So <laughs> I, I have no idea, but, um, but it's just, it's helped me connect with so many people and it's helped me meet so many people. And I still hear from people I've interviewed years and years ago. And I just really love those connections. And I love when people are able to rally around something that's good and not bad. So, so what was it like being a deputy editor for a company with Stephen Godfrey, Ryan Nanny, Dan Rubenstein, Spencer Hall, uh, I can keep going. Holly Anderson. Like, just what is it like being a deputy editor with that collection of personalities? That was that was my dream job, y'all. I I had been gunning for that job since like 2014 when I started at Ale.com and I started telling these SEC stories. Stephen Godfrey and I went to the same school, but we didn't know each other in school. He was a senior when I was a freshman, and on my very first day, I picked up or maybe the first week, something is maybe the first time I picked up the student paper. Um, I pick up the student paper. I'm a little freshman, you know, and go sit down with my Chick-fil-A nuggets in the student union. And I flip to the back because I want to read the sports page. And there's this column that's killing me. And I don't remember the column, but it had something to do with Peyton Manning's forehead. And <laughs> it was one of the funniest things I'd ever read in my life. And I looked at the byline, it's Stephen Godfrey. And I'm like, I want to know him. Like he's, he's so funny. And so I read him a lot that year. And so he and I like connected over the years. He was working on a project he needed my help with. And then when I was at Yale.com writing this stuff, he's like, you've got people here looking at you. And I'm like, what? Cause I, I was reading Espionation. I was reading every day should be Saturday and red cup rebellion. And it was so smart and so funny. He's like, just keep doing stuff like this. So this 2014 2015, I left AL.com. I sent them a resume. I sent Ryan Nanny a resume over Twitter that had like a cartoon drawn image of genuine. It was like my interests, football, baseball, genuine. It was the dumbest thing, but I just really wanted to get on their radar and I wanted them to know I, I wanted to work for them. So fast forward to 2016 and the story is important. I promise I'm not just trying to ramble. 2016, I take a job back in Oxford for the Oxford Eagle and they wanted to start a magazine. So my very first day of work, I'm driving home and Spencer Hall calls me and he says, I've got a college football reporter position open if you want it. And I'm like, I had just moved my whole life to Oxford, just rented a new house and started this job. And so I give him like the professional line of like, I can't, but please keep me in mind. And I get off the phone and I sob. I sob for an hour. I'm like, that was my shot and I missed it. And so in, I had just kind of given up after that point. I was like, it's probably, the timing's never going to be right, but I still love them. And then in 2019, Ryan Nanny was made the interim editor. And he and I were friends at that point. And I DM'd him something like, congrats, this is such a big deal. And he said, I don't have anything open, but in the future, would you ever be interested in a job? I'm like, sure. And then Stephen Godfrey texts me maybe like two days later. And he's like, I'm coming to Memphis. Where are we going to meet? <laughs> it was like this secret meeting. And so we met for coffee for a while and he explained, you know, like 
hear how things are going. I really think you'd be an asset there. It, blah, blah, blah. So it all kind of moved really fast. I went to New York to interview with them. It was just a dream. Every part of that day was a dream. And even leaving, I was like, I'm never going to get this job, but I just got to interview with them and that's enough for me. And I go back to, I was living in Memphis at the time. I go back to Memphis and nothing, didn't hear anything. Um, And then about a month later, I got a call from Ryan. They're like, hey, if you want it, you've got it. And I I can't explain to you how much of a dream this was for me. It was. And even though they had formed Banner Society at that point, so this was kind of a separate division and I was with the main dot-com it is by far the best job I've ever had in the way that they supported people, the way they supported mothers, especially working mothers. And it wasn't this constant having to keep tabs on everything you were doing. If you had to take your kid to the doctor, nobody was questioning where you were. Um, it was the best work environment I've ever had. They were so much fun and life happens. And that's, you know, the best thing I can say when the pandemic, um, when, when we went on lockdown, I wouldn't say the writing was on the wall, but we knew there would be changes. We knew with no sports, we would have to kind of justify our existence, so to speak. So the furloughs came down quickly. We still had um, three months before the layoffs. Most people took buyouts. I'm the idiot who didn't take the buyout because I really believe there would be a place for me there. Um, and I don't regret that because they, I ended up with a fine severance package. I think Vox is a good company. They just decided creatively to go in a different direction. And it's sad. I think a lot of people loved SB Nation for, for good reasons. It was smart and it was funny and it made fun of sports in a way that didn't make fun of fans. It said, Hey, this is a really silly thing and it's okay to love a really silly thing. Hayden S. Spurrier. Yeah. Hayden S. Spurrier. I mean, is probably the reason I even got as interested in that job as I wanted to, because I couldn't believe they had this many funny, smart people working there. I couldn't believe it. I hadn't seen anything like it. And I certainly never thought I would have the chance to be there. So even though I wasn't there long, like that's going to go down forever as kind of, I don't want to say that's where I peaked. Cause like, I got a lot of time left, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully I've got some other stuff going on, but um, I have never loved a place more. Honestly, it was great. Favorite sec stories and people that you've covered. Oh gosh. Uh, I think my favorite sec story that I've told is about the guy. He went to Mississippi state he wanted to propose to his girlfriend who went to Alabama. She was an assistant in Nick Saban's office. And so he worked with their staff on a day where Nick was out of town to where he was hiding in his office, in his bathroom, actually. They gave her, they're like, can you go polish his championship rings? Cause they've got a recruit coming in later today. They want to make <laughs> sure they're polished. So he's in the bathroom for hours, gets very hungry, starts eating his oatmeal cream pies, like Nick's oatmeal cream pies. He's so nervous. The girl goes in and starts polishing the rings, opens one and sees that it's an engagement ring. And she's looking around very confused. And the guy walks out of the bathroom and proposes to her. And I I think that's the best ever. And um, so they were, yeah, they were really fun. Um, I'm trying to think. I I did a story on Stingray when he first became a thing because I didn't believe he went to Mississippi State. Not in a mean way. It's just if you're a Mississippi, everyone knows everyone and nobody knew him. And I'm like, he's got a backstory. So when I found out he went to Alabama, I was like, here we go. So (laughs) telling his story was fun. Um, You know, The guy outside of Bryant Denny, I really loved talking to him just because like he had a family, he had all of the stuff and it's it's just fun talking to somebody where they can be transported back to a different time because of sports, because a lot of people we're people, they've got bills and they have money problems and, you know, everybody's got something they have to worry about. But I think when you cover sports and specifically when you cover sports fan culture, you get a side of people that most don't get to see. And so there's a lot of a lot of joy there. I'm trying to think if there are any others. I've just told a lot of bonkers stories in my day, um, which I'm grateful for, but yeah, just a lot of weird circumstances and, and people who love what they do. So in addition to storytelling, you seem to be a pretty good gift giver. Do you want to tell us what you got your mom for Valentine's day? (laughs) So ever since uh, my dad passed away, I always wanted her to have something on Valentine's day, just so she didn't have to go through the, you know, seeing people get flowers at the office and things like that. 
usually I get her flowers or like, you know, a gift card or something, but Houston nut does cameos for 50 bucks. <laughs> and I was like, let's just see what happens. And she loved Houston nut. This was kind of the glory days for our family in terms of being able to travel to games and uh, everything else. I did it more as a joke, not making fun <laughs> of him or anything, but just because how random is that? Hilarious. And he did it. And I wrote a little poem. It was a stupid poem. But so the poem was, roses are red, violets are blue. Hope you like those cotton bowls. Love always Hootie Who. Because she called him Hootie Who. That was like her nickname. She'd scream it. Um, so he goes to do the cameo, gets to the line about the cotton bowls, totally forgets the rest of the poem and just talks about the cotton bowls for like two. 100% literally three lines in and and, and he was off. done and yeah. it was incredible and I loved it like I wasn't upset at all and I sent it to her and she started crying like it made her cry and she told me she's like I just remember those games we would travel to and you know all of us loaded up in the car and we drive to Fayetteville and that Arkansas game we thought we were gonna lose and we did I mean it really took her back and then Houston actually dm'd me and said, I'm so sorry, I messed it up. I'll redo it. And I'm like, don't you dare redo it. That was incredible. I didn't mean to make it look like I was making fun of you. This was truly such a gift for her. Thank you. And he was so kind about it. And of course he was like, where are y'all from? Da, da, da. So um, yeah, so that that meant more to her. I feel bad because I really did intend it as like a ha ha. <laughs> and she ended up cherishing it. So I guess it worked out. Well, Alex, you know, I could go for hours more with you here. So, so thank you for giving us your, thank you. your time. We really do appreciate it. And uh, as someone who has worked with Houston Nut for years, uh, I can tell you the going off the rails of the script is not a new thing. It's on for brand. For, for Hootie yes. Who. Yeah, Hootie Who. Alex, thank you, thank you so <laughs> Thanks, much. Alex. We, we really appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, y'all. This was fun. Have a good day. That was Alex McDaniel, formerly of SB Nation and AL.com as well. Uh, clearly a diehard SEC football fan, Aaron. When you are scheduling the birth of your child, um, you know, all the memories with her father, look, which I think is a lot of all of our, our, our story, right? If you're mm -hmm. an SEC fan, you got, you got the SEC thing from somebody generally in your life. And that's how it happened to me. It's how it happened to you. It's how it happened to Alex. It's how it happened to all of you guys that are listening. I just think she's a great storyteller, and I hope you guys enjoyed that. So. She's fantastic. We could have kept talking to her for forever. We had to cut ourselves off because that conversation could have been hours long. Yeah. Yeah. So just uh tweet her, you know, tell her, tell her thanks for coming on and appreciate the stories and hope you guys had a good time. And again, want to remind everybody, obviously go to Jasper's number one, number one, first reminder. Tomorrow or the day this comes out is burger and beer night. So you get either a hot dog and or a burger and a beer for $10. Oh, that's on the, the, the weekly rundown, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what else you got coming up on uh, Fridays and Saturdays at, at Jasper? Sundays, Sunday. I don't know about Friday, Saturday. They always have happy hour four to six. And then during the Preds games, but Sunday they do uh two for one beers all day long. Ooh, that sounds yeah. funny. Yeah. Lots of good specials. I, I don't need that many beers, but I like that many beers. So yes. number one reminder, go to Jasper's, go, you know, support our wonderful and amazing sponsor Jasper's, but, but also just, Look, we got so much time to break down depth charts and spring practice games and position battles, and we're going to do all that stuff. But we also want to have some fun in the offseason here and talk about life in the South and SEC culture and SEC passion and just tell some stories about people. Because I think, you know, in, in light of the Tiger Woods thing this week, Aaron, you know, people love sports, people love their teams, people love championships. But more than anything else, I'm convinced that people are obsessed with other people more than anything in the world. And people like that's sec people are interesting let's just be honest it's true also you can people can tell us what they want to hear too if you have a local nashville favorite that you want to hear from just tell us what you want to uh, they, people tell us what they want to hear did you just tweet at braden for requests to be tweeted at me yeah tweet him at braden i love He'll that. figure it out at braden gall on twitter tweet me what you want to hear yeah <laughs> or just no, no more anthem where, talk <laughs> or where he could improve just where he could improve in general also, feel free to tweet that at him. I, I, I'm married. I get critiques all the time. I'm fine with that. I'm very comfortable. Bless Haley. No problems there. No problems there. Uh, Aaron, where can people follow you and tweet at you all their requests and ideas and concepts? Um, the Aaron Dugan on Twitter. And where can they follow you on Instagram? On Instagram. Aaron underscore Dugan on Instagram. 
You can follow 440 Sports at, on Twitter and Facebook, at 440 Media on Instagram. You can follow me, at Braden Gall. Special thanks to Alex McDaniel for joining us. Love talking with her. Just one of my favorite people in the SEC. So until next week, we do appreciate it. Thanks for hanging out with us. For Aaron Dugan, my name is Braden Gall. This has been Fringe Element on the 440 Sports Network. Bye. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> <laughs>